This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi, good evening, everyone. Tuesday night, Pashas Vayakel. Mitch Sem, this Shabbos is Vavachas Achoydesh, Adr Beis, and Pashas Shkolim. We make a lot of Shkolim this week in Mitzvah Shem. So there's a lot of different subjects I want to talk about. I'm going to start off with. Um, with an interesting story, we're going to connect this story and we're going to talk a little bit mostly tonight about um, about Purim. So, I want to read you a story that I read this week. The story is called, it's from a book, the story is called Together We Can Make It. So, I don't know who, who said this, but it's, he said, we are all like one-winged angels. One-winged angels. It's only when we help each other that we can fly. There's a famous story. It's not this story that I read once a long time ago, my share, probably about 10 years ago. Um, I don't know who it was, but there was somebody visiting World War II. They were visiting the, the veterans, and he was a comedian, and he was saying jokes. And then... All of a sudden, in the middle, he stopped saying jokes, and he like got serious for a minute, and he couldn't talk, and no one understood what was going on. And then he finished his whole comedy act, and they went over, they went over with him after the comedy act, and they said, "My hi, like what happened in the middle of your comedy act? You stop, you stop making jokes, and you look so seriously." So he said, "I'll tell you the truth. You know, every time I made a joke, everybody was clapping." He said, "But." There were these two guys sitting in the front row. I remember when I, this story had a big thing on me. There were these two guys sitting in the front row that lost an arm. Each one of them lost an arm in the war, World War II. So they were clapping. Each one had one hand. So they were clapping together. He said, I never saw that before in my life. He said, to get alone they couldn't clap, but together they could clap. It was such a lesson in achdos. So this is a very interesting story, and I'm going to connect a little bit this is a, not a holy story, but it's a story. Connect a little bit to, um, to Miguel Asto. Listen carefully. Bob Butler lost his legs in a 1965 landmine explosion in Vietnam. He was a soldier in Vietnam. He lost his legs. He returned home a war hero. 20 years, 20 years later, he proved once again that heroism comes from the heart. Butler was working in his garage in a small town in Arizona on a hot summer day when he heard a woman scream coming from a nearby house. He rolled his wheelchair toward the house, but the dense shrubbery, the plants, would not allow him access to the back door. So the veteran got out of his chair and crawled, because his chair couldn't get to the other house. So he crawled through the dirt and the bushes. He said, I had to get there. It didn't matter how much it hurt, because this woman was screaming. When Butler arrived at the house, he traced the screams to the pool, where a three-year-old girl was lying at the bottom of the pool. She had been born without arms and had fallen into the water and couldn't swim. Her mother stood over her baby screaming frantically. Butler dove, so he didn't have feet, right? But he had hands. Butler dove to the bottom of the pool and brought little Stephanie up to the deck. Her face was blue, she had no pulse, and she was not breathing. Butler immediately went to work performing CPR to revive her, while Stephanie's mother telephoned the fire department. She was told that the paramedics were already out on a different call. Helplessly, she cried and hugged Butler's shoulder. As Butler continued with his CPR, he calmly reassured Stephanie's mother. Don't worry, he said. 
I was her arms to get her out of the pool. It'll be okay. Now I'm her lungs because he was breathing. He's doing CPR. He's breathing into her. Together we're going to make it. Seconds later, the little girl coughed, threw up, regained consciousness, and began to cry. As they hugged and rejoiced together, the mother asked Butler, how did you know when you told me that she'd be okay? How did you know she'd be okay? He says, when my legs were blown off in the war, I was all alone in a field. No one was there to help except a little Vietnamese girl. As she struggled to drag me, in, drag me to her village, she whispered in broken English, it's okay, you can live, I will be your legs, together we can make it. So this guy Butler said to the mother, this was my chance to return the favor. So somebody was his legs, and now he was somebody else's legs and somebody else's lungs. So he knew that what goes around comes around. What, what, why am I telling you this story? So, Lamaisa, everybody in life, if someone does you a favor, you will get a chance to have a karasatov. You will get a chance to whatever that person did for you to do for someone else. Not the person who did it for you. He didn't save the Vietnamese girl. Not the person that did it for you specifically. But if Hashem made a shliach that someone should do you a taiva, someone should do you something good, then Hashem is going to give you a chance to become a shliach to do the same thing to help someone else. The question is, will you do it or will you not? That's up to you. He didn't have to crawl out of a wheelchair and do this for her. But he knew in his head that somebody was there for me. Now I'm getting a chance to be there for someone else. If she's going to die, I didn't help her. It must be that I'm going to have a chance to give her back to life. Lahavdil, in Megillah's Esther, when Mordechai, who did a huge favor for um, his niece, Esther, because Esther was born without a mother and father. Not only that, I learned the Gemara and Shabbos today, it's brought down on the side, that, that he, he didn't have anyone to nurse her. So he didn't have any way to feed her. Um, not because he was poor, but because he couldn't find anyone that was able to nurse her. So the Gemara says that he, he actually, Hashem made a miracle and he nursed her. Mordechai nursed, his, nursed Esther as a baby. Hashem made a miracle. So why did Hashem have to make a miracle? Because he couldn't find anyone to do it and she would have died. She had, she had no way to nurture. They didn't have bottles in those days. So, so he saved her life. He, he, he adopted her. She had no parents. Her mother died at childbirth. Father died way before that. So now was her chance to give back. Okay? So he said to her, We'll just read it inside. Mordechai said, "Go, go to Achashverosh and beg that we sh- you should save all that you know that Hashem should save our lives." And she said, "But don't you know that um, if you don't are not invited to the king, then you're gonna and you go and he doesn't put a scepter out, you're gonna die." So Vayigidu Mordechai is Esther. They told Mordechai, we told her what you said, but she doesn't want to go, because her life's in danger. Mordechai answered back to Esther, Don't worry about yourself. You're going to hide as the, as the queen in the house of the king, and you're going to be saved. 
from all the other Jews who are going to be who are going to die. If you are going to delay, if you're not going to go, in this time, the Jews are still going to be saved. You and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows if this way you became queen? So the, the famous question. Mordechai is telling, is there a cup back there? Any cups back there? Mordechai, Mordechai is telling, Mordechai is telling Esther that if you don't go to the king, then you're a loser, and your and and your house and your and your household is a is, is, is a loser. Why why is he here 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 here? Why is he why is he doing that? Why is he threatening her? If if, if my niece was life was in danger. And I'm asking her to go in front of the king and they may chop her head off, right? I'm not going to tell her that if you don't go, you and your parents are a bunch of losers. I'm telling her, listen, I'm sending you on a dangerous mission. Clydeswell is going to say to Hillen, we're going to learn shots. All the girls are going to have Yomi Eons in Shmir Talashin. We're going to turn the Shemayim over. Everyone's going to fast. And Mitzvah Shem, you'll make it. I wouldn't tell her, you're a loser, and your parents are losers. How's he talking to her like that? Says Mordechai the following, guys, says Mordechai the following. Where do you come from, Esther? You come from the house of Shaul. The reason that we're in this whole situation is Haman. And Haman came from Amalek. Right? So, if Shaul wouldn't have messed up, and Shaul would have listened to Shmuel HaNavi, and Shaul would have done what he was supposed to do, then we wouldn't have a Haman. So you have a chance to fix what your great-grandfather Shaul got us into. You are the tikkun of his nishama. And if you don't save us, then what he did is what's going to kill us because he let Amalek live, which brought Haman to the world. So, you have a chance, and everybody has a chance. We're all here. We're all here. Every neshama that's in this world, every person that's in this world is here for tikkun, is here to fix something. So, he said to her, you're here to fix what your grandfather did wrong. And if you're not going to fix it, then you, where you come from, the royal family that you come from, will be lost because you didn't fix your situation. Everybody has a chance to give back. He, she was saved to save Klai Yisrael. This guy was saved by a little girl. He saved a little girl. You always, if someone, if you have a chesed done for you in your life, Hashem always sets up a situation that you can do that chesed for someone else. Not the person who did you the chesed. No, he doesn't need your chesed. But someone else, it's going to come down the line, you're going to get a chance to save someone else. And if you step away, you're lost. So that's what Mordechai was saying. Mordechai was saying that if you don't save us, then Shaul messed up. And you, you, you were here to do a tikkun. We're all here to do a tikkun. And if we don't fix what we're here, then, then the whole life is lost. You were here to fix something, and you didn't fix it. So, so you're a loser. You lost the whole. You lost your whole shot. Now the Zaya says, "What are you here to fix? How do you know what you're here to fix?" 
Maybe you're supposed to give tzedakah, maybe you're supposed to fix your anger, maybe you're supposed to fix other midos. How do you know? He says the thing that you struggle with the most, the avera, the taiva that you struggle with the most, that's why you're here. That's what you're here to fix. If it's anger, if it's being cheap, if it's women, if it's whatever, if it's something else, whatever that taiva you have that you're just, you're just struggling with, that's why you're here. Because that's the main ingredient in your soul that you came down with, and that's why you're struggling with it so much. So he was telling her over here, like, listen, you got a chance to fix your grandfather's situation that he brought us into, that he let, that he, let he had Rachmanus and he let Amalek live. So he wasn't threatening, he was just telling her a fact. Yeah, we're going to go down, and they did go down. We're going to go fast, we're going to fast for three days, we're going to do what we have to do. But you need to know that if you, if you don't make this happen, then Shoal, Shoal messed up, and you didn't fix it. He gita the Malchus, you came to Malchus. What's Malchus? That's for Shoal. Shoal was a Melech. You're coming from Malchus, you're coming to royalty. You're back in royalty. I should put you back in royalty. But now you need to use your royalty to fix what your royalty that you come from messed up. That's what life's about. So it's just a story like that, whatever it is, that you always get a chance to, to, to give back to someone what you went through. It's a very uh, interesting point in life that we need to know. Okay. Um, the second thing I want to talk about, so we learned about this many, 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 a long time ago. I spoke about relationships between parents and, and children. Last week I gave a share on being a teacher, and, and, and the teacher as a parent is the same thing, really what it is, about, about relationships, and that the advice that you would give someone else if they called you about their child, that's the advice you should take about your child, because any other advice is only because you're taking it personally. And I told my whole cupcake story, but that's not, that's not for tonight. But there is something that I read um, at this speech, and I've read it before, but I found something in it that I didn't see before, and it's such an important point that I'd like to make this this point, especially because people are struggling. There are people out there that are saying that, you know, you got to give your kids everything, unconditional love, whatever they want. They want drugs, buy them drugs. They want girls, let them come into your house. Whatever they want, eat chazer, buy them the chazer. Chazer shalom. Apicarsis. Total apicarsis. And people don't know. They're like, Rabbi, like, unconditional love. Like, it's very in. Like, therapists, like, like a lot of therapists are like, you have to give unconditional love. Anything else is abuse. Right? You can't say no. So we're not doing very well. This doesn't seem to be working. Because when I grew up, you had consequence. And they didn't say yes unless it was something that was good for you. And um, our generation didn't have nearly the amount of suicides, drug addicts, uh, therapy, medicine, and mental health, and everything else. So... So if you want to know if a product's good, you put it in the market. You see if it works. If it doesn't work, it's not a good product. Well, it ain't working, so it's not a good product. It's definitely not working. Not, not only in the Jewish world, in the whole world, in the Jewish world. The, the, no respect for parents and that. You know, parents are scared. Your kids are terrorists. Like, if you don't do this for me, I'm not going to school. Okay, so maybe when we were in my day, maybe when you are 18, you'd say that. Now they're in third grade. <laughs> you don't give me a computer. I don't get, Tati, you don't give me your computer. I'm not going to school. Kids in third grade. And the parents are like, oh, man, I have to give them the computer. So it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because unconditional love means that I will discipline you and I will do what I have to do even if you don't like me because I know what's good for you. And, and we do that when they're little babies 
and we put medicine down their throat that they don't want to take, and you have to hold their nose so that they swallow the medicine, then they spit it up, and it's a whole fight and a whole struggle. Is that, is that abuse? No, that's called unconditional love, because the kid looks at you with these terrible eyes, like, like, Daddy, how are you doing this to me, and, and why are you doing this to me, and, and he has this look on his face, right? And, and you know that you have to do it, because he has 105 fever, and if you're not going to do it, you, who knows what's going to happen to the kid. So you don't really care if he likes you at that moment, because you know you're doing the right thing. That's called unconditional. But if you're worried about how he's going to look at you, and you're going to say, no, I'm not giving you the medicine, Shefala, I don't want you to be angry at Tati. So, that, okay, so your kid's going to die. So what'd you do? So 105, 106, no antibiotics, no medicine. So what? So, so that's good? You let him die? That means you love him? Well, I wanted him to like me. But, yeah, but, but he died. What are you doing? Right? And we have a lot of kids that are dying. So what are you doing? Unconditional love means that I will give you what I have to give you, and sometimes it's not something that you want, and I'm going to say no, and there's no conditions because you don't like me. It's not about liking me. I'm going to tell you your arm is broken and you can't play tomorrow, even though you want to play tomorrow and it's your big game because if you play tomorrow, your arm won't grow together and you'll be walking around the rest of your life like this. And if I really love you, I don't want to do But Tati, if you love me, you're going to let me play tomorrow. No, if I love you, I'm not going to let you play. But then I'm never going to talk to you again. Don't ever talk to me again, but I want your hand to be a normal hand. I don't want you to talk to me and have your hand twisted. So... Unconditional love means it's not on the condition that you love me. And all the parents that are told to give unconditional love, if the kid would say, listen, if you buy me the drugs and you let me eat chazra and I don't have to keep Shabbos and I can do what I want, but I'm telling you right now, up front, I'm going to hate your guts. You're not going to let him do it. You're doing it because you want him to like you. But if you're sure he's not going to like you, you're not going to do it. So the, the, the giving him whatever he wants is on the condition that you're going to love me and you're going to talk to me and you're going to be my friend. That's conditional love. Unconditional love is, this is not good for you. I'm not buying you marijuana. It's not good. It's a gateway. You're going to end up on, on, on opioids. I'm not going to do this for you. But if you don't buy this for me, I'm going to buy it anyway. Listen, I'm going to give you unconditional love. That you're not giving yourself unconditional love. That's your choice. You want to buy opioids and kill yourself? I will do everything I can to save your life. At the end of the day, it's your life. But you want me to buy it? You want me to kill you? I'm not killing you. That's my choice. So, so I, I'm saying this for a reason. Because there's an unbelievable, an unbelievable um, picket de Rebeliezer, which I've, been, I've said a few times, but I never saw this point. And this point is very important, and, and parents, parents need to hear this. Again, you have to give them love, and 100% you should give them love, and you should you know, never have to throw a child out of your house, and you should be there for them, and you should give them time. But you're not allowed to give them something that hurts them physically, and you're not allowed to give them something that hurts them spiritually. Because then you're hurting them. Who gives you the right to hurt your kid? So that he should talk to you, that he should be your friend? That's conditional love. You're doing it on the condition that he likes you. No, I'll do that. You wouldn't do that to your pet, fish. You wouldn't do that to anything that you own. Why would you hurt something? Because you wanted to talk to you. If you don't ever talk to me, but you don't overdose on drugs, and you're not in rehabs every two days, and you never talk to me, I'd rather my child never talks to me for the rest of my life and he's healthy. Then he talks to me the rest of his life, and he's very unhealthy and suffering. I don't understand the logic at all. It's selfish logic. But anyway, I, I want to. I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to read you from Pikadurayliyazah. So he says the following. He says that um, that Avraham Avinu, who loved Yishmael very much, 
You have to throw him out of the house because Sari Menu said that he was going down the wrong path and he was hurting Yitzchak and Avram Avinu didn't agree with his wife because he said, I will turn him around. And she says, you're not going to turn around on, on my kid's back, on Yitzchak's back. So they went to Hashem and Hashem said, listen to her, he's got to go. He's a machti and you don't have a right to hurt Yitzchak. I know you love Yishmael. You have to send them away and it was very hard for Avram Avinu to send them away. But he sent them away. And he sent them away at the age of 27 years old. So, Yishmael left, and he said, Bye, I'm going to marry someone from Moab. And her name was, no one knows this, what was her name? What was Yishmael's wife's name? Isa. Her name was Isa. After three years, Aramavinu missed his son. He said, even though I threw him out of the house, I love him. I want to go see how he's doing. So, he swore to Sari Menu that he's not going to get off the camel and move in with Yishmael. And she said, okay, I know that you love him, you can go visit him. So, it took him a half a day. He comes to Yishmael's house and he meets the wife of Yishmael. He says to the wife of Yishmael, Isa, where's your husband? She says to him, he went with his mother, Hagar, to collect dates from the trees, the palm trees. He said to this wife, Isa, could you give me some water and bread? It was a long trip. I'm hungry and thirsty. She said to Avram Avinu, I don't have no bread and I don't have no water. Now you have to remember that Yishmael was brought up in Avram Avinu's house, which was the house of Chesed, and always giving everybody to eat. And now Avram's coming to his house, and his wife's telling him, no, no bread, no water. Um, Allah. So Avram Avinu says to her, he wasn't home. Yishmael, she didn't know who he was. She had no idea who this was. He said, when Yishmael, your husband, comes back, tell him that an old man came from the land of Canaan to see him. But he wasn't home. But tell him, in the end, your house is not good and it will fall. That was the message, a cryptic message that Avram left for Yishmael. What does it mean that your house is no good? In, in, in Judaism, your house is your wife. So what Avram Avinu was saying for her to tell Yishmael is that you don't have, you, you don't have a good wife and this household is not going anywhere. Because she's not, she didn't give me bread or water. When Yishmael came home, she ran out to him. She said, there was an old man who came from Canaan, and he told me I should give you a message that the house is no good and it's going to fall. The minute Yishmael heard that, he knew exactly who the old man was. It was Avram Avinu. He knew it was his father. Immediately he divorced his wife. Yeah. He got the message. And Hagar um, went to find another wife, and this one was named Petuma, Fatima. Petuma means to stuff. Her name was to stuff. Okay. Abraham Avinu waited three more years. Went to see what's going on. So he comes to the house. And Yishmael's not there. And he says to his wife Fatima, 
with Yishmael. She says, he went with his mother, Hagar, into the desert with the camels. On the law, he says to this wife, the second wife, Fatima, could you give me some water? He's testing her, a new wife. He knew it was a new wife. Could you give me some water and some bread? I'm very tired. Hotsia, she took out bread, she took out water, but she gave it to him. Omar Avram. Avram stood up. And he davened right there on the spot for Yishmael. And immediately, Yishmael's house was full of all types of, 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 of goodies, good things. Yishmael came back, Abram wasn't there. And she told Yishmael that this man came, he gave me, I gave him bread and water, and he stood up and he started blessing us, the two of us, our house, and like all kinds of good things in the house. Now listen carefully, this is where I found something brand new that I never saw. Yishmol realized at this point that his father always had loved him, and his father always had pity on him. I'm going to explain what that means, because I, I never understood what that meant. What, what happened also now that he realized that? Okay. He says, the pick of the earlier, he says, this is amazing. Why? That Avram did not forget his son. After he sent him out of the house, right? Hashem sent him out of the house, so I should go visit him? Hashem doesn't want him in the house. Why should I go visit him? No. He went to visit him these two times. He also gave him Musr. He showed him the way. But Ramaz the guards of Ishtai, he told him to divorce his wife, the Khair Asa, and Yishmael listened. This is an unbelievable thing to learn from. So in the end, Chaza Yishmael Bachuva. We know that Yishmael died at Tzadik. He did Chuva. Like it says, that Yitzhak and Yishmael went together to bury Avram Avinu. And we see from here, Yishmael Isa Chuva. So here's the amazing thing that I learned from here. Where does Avram Avinu have a chutzpah? You throw your kid out of the house, and then you tell him how to run his house? Yishmael should have said, you threw me out of the house. Then you come tell me to divorce my wife? Dad, go fly a kite. You're not my father. You threw me out of the house. Now you're telling me how to run my house after you threw me out of the house? That's what we would say. Like, get out of here. What are you, you telling me how to run my house? You threw me out of your house. You don't love me. It seems to be that Yishmael realized, as he says over here, that my father always loved me. That even when he, even when he threw me out of the house, even when he told me to divorce my wife, he always loved me. How did he see that from this? That he came to visit him twice? Big deal. The answer is, and this is the Knech that, that I did not say by that speech, that's why I'm saying it tonight. If your father gives you the unconditional love that I'm talking about, and he tells you no, and I'm not going to do this what's not good for you, you think he don't like you. Because he's just criticizing you. And he's just disciplining you. 
But what Yishmol saw is that the minute he was doing what he was supposed to, his father not only complimented him, but he blessed him. It can't be one way. It can't be that you're always disciplining your kids and criticizing your kids when they're doing something wrong. Because what happened here is when his wife said, I'll give you bread and water, he stood up and he blessed him. So Yishmol realized at that point, my father doesn't like me, and my father threw me out of the house. Why would he bless me? Why would he come to my house and bless me? Must be that the negative stuff that I thought he did to me was the same love. If you're only, if you're only disciplined and you don't show me the love, so yeah, you're just busy telling me what to do. But now that he came to my house and he blessed me, right? And he blessed my wife and he blessed my house. And look what's, my whole house, that means he really loved me. And until now, when he was harsh on me, it came from a good place. But if you don't, if you don't, when they do the right thing, you don't compliment them and you don't validate them and you're only always on top of them when they do something wrong, then they don't believe you ever loved them. And they're right. You don't ever love them. But when they see that, that when they do something right, you're there and you love them and you're complimenting them and you're validating them, then they realize that when they did something wrong and you told them, you're not doing the right thing, right now I love you, but I don't love what you're doing, then it's coming from a loving place. And that's what he's saying over here. And then Yishmael said, you know what? Then I need to do tshuva. Now there's a lot of people out there that are saying that to bring back your kids... Right to bring them to become Bali Chuba, to bring them back to God and back to Yiddishkeit, you have to let them do whatever they want. This is a picture of the other that says just the opposite. He only did tshuva because he saw that his father disciplined him. Even though he threw him out of the house, he said, this woman ain't no good for you. Because a house that's going to stand, an Avram Avino house, a Jewish house, has to be based on chesed. And if this woman's not giving me to eat, it's not going to stand. But then he still didn't do tshuva at that point. He didn't do tshuva at that point. Because you, you, you throw me out of the house and you tell me what to do? Uh-huh. That doesn't mean you love me. When did he do tshuva? After Avram came and the woman and his wife was doing the right thing and he saw that Yishmael and his wife are bringing up the right house and Avram said you should be benched and your house should be blessed and your children should be blessed. Then he became about tshuva. That's the positive love. The, the, the confirmation when someone, when your kid does something good, to be there and to compliment them and to validate him. That's what brought him to tshuva. Not telling him to do a virus and helping him to do the wrong thing. That doesn't bring a kid to tshuva. What brings a kid to tshuva is, yes, you know what? My father really does love me, you know, because he's always, he's there for me. I was just doing the wrong stuff and he, he, he told me the truth. He told me where I'm, where I'm going and where it's going to end up. And that's the true love. And I didn't say that when I gave that share. And, and that's how it lines up over here. And that's what he says over here. The, the goddess of Yishmael, which I don't understand altogether, I mean, he was Avram Avinu's son, was that he took the Musa and he divorced the woman. <laughs> you follow, imagine your father throws you out of the house, right? And he comes to your house and he's like, better throw that television out of your house. You're like, Dad, get out of here. I don't live in your house. You threw me out of your house. Don't tell me not to have a television. Don't tell me not to have an internet. Don't tell me not my phone tilted. You're not in my life. You threw me out of my head. Yishmael didn't say that. He also went to another extreme. Instead of trying to work with his wife, he tried to tshuva and this and that. No, he realized she was no good. He realized she wasn't good. He realized that right away, Yishmael. He divorced her right away. Immediately. What? Married Yishmael's daughter. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. We can look it up. Let's take a look for a second. 
I think at the end of. Uh, I believe you're right because I know Yishmol was mixed together with Asa for sure, for sure. But that has nothing to do with the story. Yishmol did tshuva. Yishmol died not in Russia. He didn't die in Russia. He did tshuva. It doesn't say that the first one had children. It doesn't say that. It does not say the first one had children. But he definitely did marry, um, he definitely married from Yishmael, so. Huh? Yeah, he, uh, it's, it's right after the story of Toldos. Uh, yeah. was the daughter of Yishmael. I don't know if it was which, which wife, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say the first one he had children with. But he divorced her right away. So, so there was a, he listened to his father. He realized that, that he, he was, he did chesed. He, he, he was the one who ran when the three angels came. He was the one who ran to do the, do the chesed. So, so he brought up in a house of chesed. And he realized that when his father said, your house is not going to work, he was macabre. He divorced her right away. And right away, Hagar went and found him a good one. Fatima. Which the word means to feed. To stuff, to feed. Her name was, she knew right away that this was going to work. So, so the, 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 the validation of, of, of parents, my, my message to a Rebbe and to parents are, is like, yes, when kids do something wrong, we're all over them. But when they do something right, you've got to be all over them. Because Yishmael said, now I know that my father loves me. What do you mean, now you know? I, because when I did the right thing, he also benched, he also blessed me. So it's not a one-sided thing. He's not always after me. He, he blessed me. Which means, when I do the right thing, he blesses me. When I do the wrong thing, he criticizes me. So I got rid of that woman, and this woman I'm keeping. And, and, and he became a Valchuva from it. So, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to bring your kids to make them Valchuva. He became a Valchuva because his father complimented him when he did the right thing. He didn't, you know, when he went to Gemara with his son, and the son said over the Gemara, he didn't jump on the words the son didn't know. He jumped on the words the son did know. Compliment, positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Every Rebbe, every, mo, every teacher, every marriage, positive reinforcement. Find the positive, the 50 that they got right, not the 50 that they got wrong. You come into your kid's room and you tell your kid, your room is a sloppy mess. I need you to clean it up. You're not going anywhere until it's clean. Right? And the kid comes into your room a half an hour later and says, okay, dad, okay, mommy, it's clean. And you come into the room and you see his socks were sticking out from under his blanket. And you realize that he wants to go play ball, so he took all his clothing and he just cleaned and put it under his blanket. He didn't put it away. And you have two choices. What then they say? Pull the blanket up! I caught you! Do that. Bad mistake. Oh, very nice. Your room looks really good. Good job. Okay, go play ball. Now, the kids are going to go play ball. He feels very guilty. He's like, oh my God. I cleaned up, but it's all under my blanket. He will... When he comes home from ball, he will put everything away. Instead of you pulling the blanket, I got you. Nah, you try to pull one on me, you're not going to pull one on me. I used to do that to my parents. I got you. What'd you get? So now you, you got, what'd you do? What'd you do? So you caught him? So now what? What'd you do? Make believe you don't see. Many, I, I, when I was assistant principal, I said, the, the greatness of a good teacher is what you don't see. You, in other words, you see it, but you make like you don't see it. He's in the corner. He's playing it under his desk. Don't have to jump on him. Yeah, you could know that he played for half an hour, 
and you didn't say anything. It's the godless is what you don't see, not what you do see. You see everything, but you may believe you don't see it. Unless it's very important and something, once in a while you have to make believe you don't see it. You know? Sometimes in your marriage, your wife's late, whatever it is, you know, don't jump on it. You know, tell her how beautiful she looks. You went to a wedding, it's half an hour late, you want to rip her head off. She's always late. You want to, you want to scream and yell at her. It's like, I, right? Instead of walking up, what's going on? What's with you? Always late. Instead of saying that, it's like, wow. Okay, you're taking a little bit extra time. You really look amazing. She, she'll be on time next time. It doesn't, the other way doesn't work. Unless it's totally out of control. Then you have to tell her, listen, we missed the chuppah. We keep missing the chuppah. You know, you got to talk to her night. Positive reinforcement. I'm very much for positive reinforcement. Very much for positive reinforcement. And, and yes, as, as a parent, sometimes you just make believe you don't see. Unless it's chas v'shalom, something dangerous. I, kid snuck in. You know the kid snuck in. Kid knows you know they snuck in. And you didn't say anything. They're waiting for the sledgehammer to come down on their head. Not always you need to jump on them. That's what happened here by Yishmael. Yishmael thought, oh my God, my father throws me out. Then my father tells me who to marry. Uh, he's just all over me and he's just so negative. And then all of a sudden it comes back. His wife said, oh man, I don't know who this man was. He stood up. He started giving us blessings. He blessed you. He blessed me. He blessed the house. He blessed everybody. Oh my gosh. And then like magic, things started happening in the house. He knew right away, I know who, I know who that man is. Now I know he loves me. He doesn't say before that he knew he loved him. Now I know my father loves me. Not because he came every three years. That doesn't mean anything. Because he complimented me. And he helped me. And he gave me good, good, sound advice. And that means you love somebody. Not because you let them do something wrong. That they're hurting themselves. That's not sound advice. In the end, the kid points to the parent and says, You got me my first drugs. You got me into this. You didn't stop me. Yeah, it ends up, it ends up turning on the teacher and on the parent. Why didn't you stop me? Look what I am today. I'm in, in one rehab after rehab after rehab. Why did you buy me this stuff? You didn't have to buy me this stuff. You could have said no. And the parent's like, but you begged me. You asked me. And that's not what the kid wanted. The kid wanted to know subconsciously. You took me down this road. Now I'm a drug addict. I'm dying. I'm going from one rehab to the other. It's costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Ma, dad, you should have said no. You should have said no. I'm not buying you drugs. You want drugs? I can't stop you. You can do it. You can jump off a building, but I'm not pushing you off the building. That's true love. And when I gave this share and, and, and I said over this story with Avram and Yishmael, I missed that point. I said that, that now he said, now I know you love me. Right? That's what he says. Pick it the Eliezer. Now I know you love me. What do you mean? Why now do you, how do you know that I love you? And the answer is because you gave me a bracha. You validated me. When I do something good, I, I hear that all the time from, from kids. When I do something wrong, they yell at me. When I do something good, they don't say one word. It can't be that way. It's not, it's not a relationship. Your wife burns the food, you yell at her. When she makes great food, you don't say anything. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And sometimes the food's not so good. Look the other way. It's like, okay. She tried. She worked. It didn't happen. Whatever it is. You're going to tell her it's delicious. She's going to keep doing the same thing that you don't like. It's going to end up not working that well. But compliments. Compliment in any relationship opens the, that's the door that opens the communication. 
When a kid comes home from school, you give them a compliment, they're listening. When you're jumping on all of them, you it's like that's all they hear. My mother's out of control. She's like the door's closed, doesn't never even opens. Even even when you have to give someone musr, right? You, you, you have to say, there's a famous story in the Gemara where Eliyahu Navi was walking with, a, I don't know who the Tana was, and there was a donkey that was dead for a long time, was full of flies and smelly and gangrene and, ew, and stunk and whatever it is. And they walked by, and the Tana said to Eliyahu Navi, look how disgusting that carcass is. Eliyahu Navi said, no, look how beautiful his teeth are. Donkey's teeth are very white. So pretty much I was all left of the animal that wasn't eaten yet. He said, what are you saying? Look how beautiful. Find the good. Open up in relationship with the husband and wife. You come home from work, the first thing the wife should say is something nice. The first thing the husband says say is something nice. Then they're listening to each other. Then if they have to say other things that you have to say what you have to say. But you have to open it up with something. It's like, you look beautiful today. Thank you for supper today. Thank you for being so patient. I'm sorry that I'm late. Right? And she's like, it's okay. You work so hard. You... Your mama, you know, you're, you're special. That he's ready to listen to what you have to say. If you're gonna like, rah, 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 all he hears is, rah, 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 rah. all she hears is, rah, rah, rah. the kids are, rah, rah, rah. the whole house is his. Rah, rah, rah. Then they're like, why is everybody so uptight? Why do we need to go to therapy? Why do we need to take medicine? Because the whole house is, rah, 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 rah. that's what you hear. You're not, you're not open. Your ears are not open. Nobody, nobody's saying anything nice to each other. Here he got up. He gave her a blessing. She didn't even know who he was. Some old man from Canaan got up and gave him a blessing. Yishmo was like, whoa, it's my tati. My tati gave us a bracha. He really loves me. I don't know what would have happened if the second wife would have said no to. And he would have said, this house is also going to collapse. I don't know if Yishmo would have ever known that Avram Abinu loved him. Because he never got, he only got Musa. A bracha Hashem, she gave him what to eat. So he, he saw. All right, anyway, that's a very important pick of the early Okay, um, took a little bit longer than I thought. Two discussions this week with two different girls. So one girl came to my office, um, very challenged with sneers. Very challenged with the way she gets dressed. And um, a lot of girls have this challenge. We don't have this, boys don't really have this challenge. We have all their Yetzirahs that they don't have. Our Shmir Seinayim is a much bigger Yetzirah than a girl Shmir Um So everybody has, you know, everybody has their Yetzirah, and girls have Yetzirah, have a struggle with sneers. And, and she said, you know, she said, Rabbi, you, know, you can give all the speeches you want, and you can talk about it, said, but at the end of the day, the guys look at the girl who's dressed provocatively. She's straight up. She's like, you know, you want me to dress with a long skirt and everything? Go to the wedding, who are the guys looking at? The girls with the makeup, with the high heels, with the tight clothing, all the guy, you know, if you want a guy to look at you, and this is her perception, you want a guy to look at you, then you have, you know, he said it's very nice, but you know, if I get dressed the way you want me to, no one's going to look at me, and no one's going to talk to me, and I'm going to be like the big tzaddik and stuff, and I, I'm like, so you think you're not going to get married? You get married to a tzaddik. She, she said, I know, but the bottom line is a girl wants to be looked at. That's who we are, that's why we wear makeup, that's why we wear lipstick, that's why we wear mascara, that's why we do our hair. Right? And they're allowed to do that. So, so like, I'm really struggling with sneers. That's what she said. So I happened to have learned the Gemara with my brother this week in, in the Sechta Shabbos. And let's talk about the beauty of a woman, whatever, however, I got into. So, so we got into the whole thing of, of Ramavino not knowing what Sari Meno looked like. 
right? So you know the Rashi says that they were traveling and they came uh, before Paro over there and, 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 and she was washing her face and Abraham Avinu saw the reflection of her face. The Pasuk says, and he said, I didn't know until now how beautiful you are. But the Gemara says the halacha is that you can't marry someone unless you, know, you see their face, maybe marrying the wrong person. That's why they lift by the chuppah. They always lift the girl's veil so that the chassan should make, make sure it's the right girl because it's the wrong girl. You're saying, Hari Amakadeshli, you're putting a ring on, you're married to the wrong girl. So you have to see, that's the whole thing of the badekin. The badekin is you see her and you cover her face. By the chuppah, you make sure that no one, no one switched, no Rachel Balea story. What comes from the Rachel Balea story? So if he didn't know what she looked like, how can he marry her? How lach is, he needs to know what she looks like. So what does this mean? Until now, I didn't know you were beautiful. You, you met her the first time. You looked at her, you knew she was beautiful. So the answer that I know, right, why he made this statement, Rashi, the Mepharshim say, because when you travel, you don't wear makeup. It's sandy, right? You're in the desert. You look like you just, right? You don't look really pretty when you wake up in the morning, right? No makeup, no nothing. So when a person travels, his looks automatically are not good. You're gaunt, you're white, you're, 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 you're sweating. You just don't look good. It's not like coming in, walking into a, a party or wedding. So Avram Avinu, when he saw her reflection after traveling in the water and she kept her beauty, he knew what her beauty looked like. She kept her beauty. He said, I never realized that you're so beautiful that the trip didn't affect you. That's what Farsham said. Right? And that makes sense. My brother Eliezer said something amazing to me, which he heard, which he heard from, uh, from Chazal. And he said, that Rashi says, that he saw her reflection in the water. He said, Avram Avinu, wasn't into beauty. When he looked at Sarah, he had to look at her before he married her, he saw her inner beauty. He didn't care what her face looked like, her body looked like, her shape looked like. That's not what he looked at. He looked at her inner beauty. He says, when you meet a person, right, you talk to a person, the way they talk, the way they act, you can feel this is a very beautiful person inside. Right? You go to a tzaddik, went through a palm, right? You look at his face. Wow, is he cute? Is he is he handsome? He talked to you. He glowed. He was like beautiful person. Ramayshah, beautiful person. Tzaddikim, they're beautiful people. That beauty and physical. So that he always knew that his wife was a tznuah, was a, was a holy person. But now that he only saw a reflection, a reflection doesn't have a soul. So it's not a personality. It's just physical. So the first time that he saw Sari Emanuel's only physical body, face, was in a reflection. So he said, until now, I was attracted to your inner beauty because I, you're a person. But now I'm only looking at a reflection. Even your reflection is beautiful. There's no soul in a reflection. So specifically, the first time he saw her reflection, he saw that she has physical beauty. Because the reflection doesn't have inner beauty. So I said to this girl, I said, maybe I learned this Gemara with my brother before I met you to tell you very specifically that Avram Avinu found Sari Imenu attractive to him because not of her body, not of her lack of tzniyas, just the opposite, but because her inner beauty, a reflection doesn't have inner beauty. When someone looks at a girl 
from afar or from a close, but he's just looking at her reflection, he doesn't see what she really is. I said, is that what you want? You want someone to marry you as a reflection or you want someone to marry you as a person? Because if it's all about your body and your makeup, then it's just a reflection. You're selling a reflection. You're not selling a person. A marriage with a reflection, how do you think it's going to go? He's going to see a different reflection 10 years from now that's going to look better than your reflection. I said, as far as boys looking at you, I said, it's not going to get you the right guy because the guy who's looking at you is shopping reflection. I said, and you are not a reflection. I told her, I said, you are not a reflection. You are the real thing. Stop trying to be a reflection. Stop trying to sell the, you know, the reprint. You're the real thing. Reprints of, of, of paintings that are worthless. Picasso did a painting and then you take a picture of it. You can, the, the Picasso is worth 40 million. The, the picture of it is worth what the film cost. <laughs> Nothing. I said, that's what you want to be. You want to be a reflection? You want to be the real thing? You see from this Rashi that, that the real thing is, is the person. That was one girl. Oh, we're talking about sneeze. Other girl we went back to this whole thing of Hashem, there's no Hashem, there is Hashem, whatever it is, um, about if there's, a real, if there's a Hashem, then why so much pain in the world? So I, I, I tried to explain this the other week. I'm just going to go over it again um, so that you understand. So I said, to the, I said to this girl the same thing I told the girl that two weeks ago. You have two choices. You have two choices. Everyone needs to know this. Very important. You have two choices. Either you believe in the theory of randomness, which is evolution. There's no God. There's no creator. Everything just happened. Right? Which is, if you spend a little time in the world, it's, a, it's like, it can't, it, can't, it can't just happen. Food didn't just happen, right? But whatever. So you believe everything is random. Stuff, right? Molecules, there's a whole theory of randomness. Everything is random in the world. So it's sort of mazel. It's random. This guy has lucky, he has, he's unlucky at cancer. This guy lived till he's 90, he's lucky. This guy get hit by a car, he's not lucky. This guy's rich, he's lucky. This guy's poor, he's not lucky. This guy bought this stock, he's lucky. This guy didn't buy this stock, he's not lucky. Right? The guy who created, uh, you know, all, all the different things, all these rich guys in the world, billionaires, they're lucky. Other people are not lucky. So, if you live in the world of randomness, you don't believe in God, so... You can't be angry at anybody. It's just who you're angry at. There's no God. Who you're angry at? You can't even be angry at people. You can't be. Angry. It's just random. I'm not lucky. That's whose fault is that? Nobody's fault. It's evolution. You're born. That just stuff happens. Stuff happens, right? So if you if you don't believe in Hashem, you should be the happiest person in the world because, or the saddest person in the world. Right, probably be the saddest person in the world because every time something goes wrong, you're like, bad luck, man. It's just have bad luck because no one's no one's pulling the strings. I don't believe in God, so I, randomness is just bad luck. Bad stuff happened to me. Too bad, you know. Wow, what a life. So I said, if that's what you believe, you have no one to be angry at. Now, if you believe there's a God, right? Then you then you believe that 
There's someone who created us, and there's someone who's controlling what's happening. And God is not random. God is just the opposite. Every blade of grass, everything that's happening has a reason. So, if God gives pain, listen carefully, everyone who's watching, if God gives pain in the world, whatever pain it is, trauma, abuse, cancer, whatever the person is going through, and he gives it for no reason, that's random, then there's no God. God is not random. So if God does things randomly, just, I want to hurt this kid. I want to give this person cancer. Ah, wow, that's great. Now he's in a lot of pain, right? Now this one, I'm going to make him a millionaire. That one, I'm going to give him children. No, you're not going to get children. Oh, you're not going to get, you're, right. Why are you doing that, Hashem? What's the reason? There's no reason? You're just doing that? So it's random. If you're random, you're not God. I'm back to the theory of randomness. So if there's a God, nothing's random. Hashgacha Pratis is called. So if there's nothing random, and I don't believe that God is random because God can't be random. You're either random or you're God. You can't be both. So then there's a reason he's doing something. If there's a reason he's doing something, what am I angry about? For both either side, either you're an atheist or you're not an atheist, who are you angry at? There's no one to be angry at. So if I believe that God's not random and that He doesn't give him pain and me not pain and this one rich and that one, there's a reason for everything. So what am I angry at? If you have a reason for doing it and that reason has got to be a good reason, then then I have to accept what you're doing and accept that you're God, and accept that there's a reason for what's happening, and then Gamzula Taiva, the reason is something good. Of course it's hard, I'm not saying someone's in pain, right? It's hard to understand that, but if you really have a Muna, and you really believe in God, and the perfect example, this Purim, is Esther HaMalka. Here is the perfect example, where you get a chance, everybody, to look in from the outside. Tzlach everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.